Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Uh, please join me in prayer. This is a, an epiphany prayer. Today we celebrate epiphany. It's from the Book of Common Prayer. We'll actually put the words on the screen and you can pray along with us if, you, if you'd like to do so. So let's, let's pray together. Oh God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us, who know you now by faith, to your presence, where we may see your glory face to face. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen, we say with the saints here today and the saints of the past and those all around God's church who are, are praying that prayer today. Craig Barnes was the former president of the seminary I attended, and he recently retired. He was a wonderful professor and a great and wise leader, and I've been reflecting a lot recently in what I learned from him. Years back, he wrote an article for the Christian Century in which he shared some of his early life and one season in particular that was particularly challenging. In an event in which he was a weary and hopeful and fearful traveler, much like the Magi on this Epiphany celebration. In the article, Barnes described how when he was growing up, his father was a preacher, and his father believed it was important to memorize parts of scripture. I had a friend who used to say, it needs to be in your bones, <laughs> it needs to be that uh, deeply held within us. Barnes wrote, on Mondays, he'd give, he being his father, would give me and my older brother a verse written out on a little white card. And they were expected to recite it from memory by dinner by the end of the week when our father would point to one of us and say something like Romans 8.28. If we didn't start chipping away with, for all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who called according to his purpose, they'd have to leave the table, which is where Barnes thought things went wrong. Barnes wrote that by the time he was a teenager, he had memorized a lot of the Bible, not out of love for the sacred text, but because he didn't want to be dismissed at dinner on Saturday. Barnes goes on to explain that when he was 17, his parents' marriage fell apart. His father's response was to not only leave the church, but to leave the family altogether. He disappeared. His mother's response was to move away to Long, from Long Island to Dallas to live with her sister. The thing is, she didn't bring her two sons along. She left without them. All of which meant Craig and his older brother, at far too early of an age, were left to fend for themselves altogether. The following Christmas, perhaps with a dream of togetherness, following some kind of star that kept shooting away, Barnes and his brother decided to go visit their mother. But they had no money, no car, no way to get there, so they decided the best way to get to their mother for Christmas was to hitchhike. Hitchhike from Long Island to Dallas. By the end of the first day, writes Barnes, we were somewhere in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia on Interstate 81. 
It was snowing hard and the sun went down and we stood on the entrance ramp with our thumbs sticking out. As the snow got heavier, there were fewer and fewer and fewer cars. After two hours, we finally saw a pair of headlights up ahead coming toward us. It was a Virginia State Trooper. We were expecting a lecture about how hitchhiking is dangerous and not something we should be doing. Instead, he told us that the highway had been closed for two hours and that after attending to a car accident up ahead, he would come back for us. Craig and his brother's life had been turned upside down, and that was not the Christmas that he had been dreaming of. A weary traveler trying to find his way from the East Coast to a parent who said there was no room in the inn to begin with. Maybe Christmas wasn't so great for some of you either, or maybe a Christmas pass went something like that. Now, I'll come back to that story a bit later. I want to leave it there for now, because I should probably say a few other things, like Happy New Year or Good Morning. Um, today, again, is a special day for several reasons, some already named. It's the first day of 2023, as Leah reminded us. The confetti suppliers are in business, and whoever makes those glasses, things are going well for them. And speaking of confetti and things to celebrate, you know, we again lift up Mike Coles, who's being ordained today at the First Baptist Church of Cooperstown. We're thrilled that so many folks from BCWC are involved in that service and are there supporting him. And again, you can check that out online um, if you'd like to join him from afar. Uh, Mike, if you see this, we send all our love to you, and we're so excited for you. Today is also a part of Christmas Tide, so the season continues of Christmas. So that time in the liturgical year when we choose to stay in the glow of the Christ candle for just a little bit longer. Reflecting on the meaning of God with us as we usher in a new year. This all culminates with Epiphany, which is technically on January 6th, but we're celebrating a bit early today. And at Epiphany, we remember how the Magi, the wise men, paid homage to Jesus and then fled from King Herod. We remember that God moves beyond the boundaries and the points of demarcation that normally structure our lives because the Magi were Gentiles. So it's an early sign that God's love was going to move beyond um, just the Jewish community. Now, all of these events, to me at least, remind me of the befores and afters of our lives. This is a theme I can't let go of lately, the befores and afters. All of us have these moments uh, that we can think about, that life changed forever after that. Before and after the clock strikes 12, before and after Pastor Mike Coles becomes Reverend Mike Coles, before and after the Magi follow the star, in the Advent season that we've just gone through together, we think of that time before, before the birth of Jesus, growing weary and yet ready to rejoice. And on Epiphany, we remember that there's some things that happen after, after the birth of Jesus. The story continues. In fact, it's just getting good. And so this theme of befores and afters is part of our lives as we reflect on them 
on the years past as we reflect on them, whether it's individually or in the life of our congregation. Maybe you can think of your own. Becoming a parent, losing a loved one, achieving a goal, retiring, quitting, ending a relationship or starting a relationship, accepting and sharing who you are, changing life directions or moving somewhere new. Those are the personal befores and afters that shape our lives in profound ways. But of course, there are societal ones, historical ones, communal ones, a war, a regime change, the fall of one society, the rise of some new technology, the list goes on and on. And sometimes those communal, societal, or historical befores and afters are also deeply personal. We think of the birth of one baby in particular. That's where we left off last, right? When we were together on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, we remember the before and after in human history that marks this great shift when God put on human skin and changed the world before and after Jesus. As a reminder, in case you've forgotten the story, it's been a bit, According to Matthew, we read that Jesus' mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant by the Spirit, but he didn't know that at first. He had to be told by an angel in a dream, and God's angel spoke to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is Spirit-conceived, and she will bring a son. She will birth the son, and when she does, Joseph, you will name him Jesus. God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Joseph woke up from the dream, and he did exactly what God's angel commanded. He married Mary, and they named the baby Jesus. And in this glorious manger scene depicted in crushes made of wood and crystal and Lego and everything else for thousands of years since, we see the hopes and fears of all the years coming together in this fragile little divine human. When I see a baby, whether it's mine or someone else's, I can't help but think about the hopes and fears that live side by side so soon in a child's life, so soon placed on them by their family or society. Hopes for all that awaits, all the exciting things that will unfold, and fears for the same. Life is tragic and beautiful all at the same time. And so sitting side by side in glorious fragility and liminality between what might be and what is, is this little baby wrapped in cloth, already changing the world. I picture Mary holding that baby and whispering, there was before you and now there's after you. The spotlight shines on that magnificent and peaceful scene, but as anybody who's been around a child knows, the peaceful scenes only last so long. <laughs> there are things to do and trials and tribulations that await, some known and some unknown. And sometimes unexpected guests show up. It's nice when they bring presents, too, and that's what happens in our story for today. So let's let Matthew tell the next part. In chapter 2, the plot thickens a bit. So 
Let's check it out. Matthew chapter 2, you can follow along in your, your Bible or on the screen. We read, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi, those scholars, those wise people, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I can pay him homage. This, of course, was a lie. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star, and they had, see they had seen in the east, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw where the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and they paid him homage, this respect or reverence or worship. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, every baby's favorite. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. It's a pretty dramatic story. We leave this little light scene. It's all peaceful, silent night. We sing, we take our candles, we walk out. And then a whole bunch of other stuff happens that is pretty intense. Here in the follow-up to the familiar Christmas story, we get additional glimpses, layered glimpses of God's befores and afters. There was a time before that star appearance was a reality. And there was a time after the prophecy had been fulfilled. You heard in the scripture references to Old Testament scriptures implying that the Messiah was the one that they had awaited. There was a time before King Herod knew that his threat to his ego uh, had come. And there was a time after that, of course. There was a time before the Magi experienced the overwhelming joy of Jesus, this encounter with the Christ child, in a time after, when a dream from God interrupted their lives and set them down a new path. Though these befores and afters were pretty much instantaneous, the implications of the afters took some time to really be understood. Often we don't know that we're living in the before until it is far behind us. And sometimes we don't even have enough time to process it, to reflect on these years that go by because the next drama is already here. The next problem, the next trial. 
And that's exactly what happens in Matthew's narrative because after the Magi left, God's angel shows up again to Joseph in a dream and directed them to flee to Egypt because Herod was on the hunt for the child and wanted to kill him. Joseph obeyed and he got up and took the child and took Mary under the cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight and they had to live in Egypt until King Herod's death. Echoes of Moses' story as well, the promise of a new Moses. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him and they did not come back, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy two years and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. Later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream again to Joseph while he was in Egypt and said, up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those out to murder the child are dead. Joseph obeyed, he got up, he took Jesus, he took Mary, and they re-entered Israel. They heard that Archelaus had succeeded Herod, who was Herod's son, and they paused for a moment. I don't know if we should go in here now, should we? But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. And on arrival, they settled in the village of Nazareth. Of course, the story continues from there, but we'll pause for now to reflect on how significant it is that the one who had come to be the Prince of Peace was in his earliest days surrounded by violence of the most sickening kind, surrounded by injustice, Agents of peace often find that things get worse before they get better. And agents of justice often find themselves surrounded by the violence of those who are willing to enact death-dealing destruction before they surrender their own egos. This was true for Jesus, and it was true of Jesus' followers today. Also in our world today, you may find yourself or others who are like the Magi in some way. Maybe they're seeking a light. Maybe they're surprised by the joy that they find. Or maybe they're being disoriented and then rerouted on their life's journey. Let's take a moment to think through each of these. Maybe you or someone you know has sought a light at some point. Many of us, especially at the turn of the new year, find bright flashing neon lights ready for us. Or the dim blue light of a social media scrolling feed. These prophecies of new products, services, mantras, and manifestation techniques that will help give us what we want. What they assure us that we need. Those new shoes that will fit the collection or the tech that will save us more time make us less lonely. The right toy for the kid, well, they'll know how special they are. They'll have what I didn't. The new diet or exercise routine that will give you a body deserving of acceptance or that will keep you well enough to avoid any ailments. The goal that if achieved will show everybody that you're worthy and the relationship that will show everyone how deserving of love you are, that you matter, that you belong, that you're enough. If I just follow that light leading me to that thing to do or get or buy or have, 
then it will be okay. These are the lights that surround us. Sometimes we really want to believe those lights, the lights of TV or magazines or brand partnerships, and we can have what we want if we just think of that after that awaits us. We can't afford not to buy it after all. But so often, those lights that we follow are distractions. They're artificial lights. That star that we thought we were following ends up just being an airplane. Sometimes we find the true light, and it's meaningful, and it's beautiful, and it's holy, like the Magi did, and they encountered Jesus, and then they didn't know what to do with it. What do you do when you find that true light? How does your life change? It can be overwhelming to encounter something that true. And so maybe you or someone you know is like the Magi and they've been surprised or overwhelmed by the possibility, the prospect, the experience of that joy that they've encountered in Jesus. The Magi were sought-after experts, people who knew what there was to know. They found themselves still being overwhelmed and surprised. They knew the prophecies and yet they were still overwhelmed by the joy that they experienced it. Some of us think we have it all figured out too. And Christmas tie, the season that we're in, reminds us that Jesus still has some surprising things to do. Jesus is ready to knock us off our seats, especially when we lift them up and they're higher than everybody else. So often we think we have it figured out, for good or for ill. Our worldview is the right one because we've lived it. We've thought it out. We've carefully observed it. We make up our minds and the matter is settled. And then there's Jesus who surprises us again, even when we come prepared with the best gifts we can think of. In these overwhelming encounters, it's hard to know what to do next, whether it's the first time we encounter Jesus or Jesus feels far away. That joy can fade and we have to go back home and we're disoriented. We don't quite know how to go back because we're no longer allowed to go back the way we came from. There's looming threats around us. And so maybe you're like the Magi or someone you know, and they're being rerouted, disoriented, unsure of how to proceed next in their journey. The Magi were told, too, that they could, they could not go back the way that they came. They were disoriented. For Jesus' family, this was true. For the Magi, this was true. And for us, the advent of Christ does not mean that that joy is all there is. Did you read the terms and conditions of this gift we've been given? Because there's a lot else that's there. If anything, following Jesus does not make us immune to troubles. It invites us to draw closer nearer to the most challenging parts, the most heartbreaking parts of being a person. Following Jesus means that we're called to speak hope alongside of fear, to build peace alongside impossible violence, and to be agents of justice when all that surrounds us is death-dealing destruction. What we learn from this second chapter of Matthew is that those that some sought 
Those who sought some kind of light and encountered the grace of Jesus were surprised and transformed and reoriented and still a little lost. Proximity to Jesus means that you can be perceived as threatening to oppressive systems of power. Even when you feel the most fragile, how can I be threatening? The most fragile little baby was a threat to the egos of Herod and powers and principalities. Even in our own lives, sometimes we're kind of like Herod in the kingdom of our own hearts. We'd rather leave a path of destruction in our way than make Jesus the Lord of our lives. But each of us has the opportunity to offer what we have, to offer our lives to the one who reveals God to us in Scripture, in these prophecies and dreams and stories and in community. To me, Epiphany reminds us that God's story of salvation includes and transcends our befores and afters. God is beyond time and yet with us in real time. So let's return for just a moment to that story I began with at the beginning, the one about Craig Barnes. When we last left off, he was on the side of the road in Virginia waiting, waiting for the trooper to come back. They were trying to figure out how to pass the time because it was cold and they didn't know how long it would take. So Craig Barnes' older brother looked at him and said, Romans 8.28. Barnes wrote, we spent much of that night asking each other to recite those Bible verses. Verses they had memorized, he said, but never truly heard. At one point, Barnes writes, I found, found myself saying the precious lines of Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Barnes wrote, by the time he had finished saying that, he was weeping. He had an epiphany, a transformative moment, the beginnings of a calling to a new life. This was a before and after for him. But also in that moment, he was still on the side of the road. It was still winter. He was still cold. He was still trying to meet his mom for Christmas to chase down parents who left him behind. Like the Magi, this before and after moment left Barnes with hopes and fears. And it would take some time on the road and the help of a stranger and a way to get the icicles off of his nose before it could all come together. But these tug of the heartstring moments sent him down a path toward a light, toward surprising joy, and ultimately rerouted him on a new way home. There's an Episcopal priest named Barbara Brown Taylor who began her Epiphany sermon this way. She said, Once upon a time there were some very wise men who were all sitting in their own countries, minding their own business, when a bright star lodged in the right eye of each of them. It was so bright that none of them could tell whether it was burning in the sky or if it was just stuck in their eye, but they were wise enough to know 
that they needed to follow it. There was something beyond them that was calling them, and it was a tug that had, they had been waiting for their whole lives. And so today I say to you, as we conclude this sermon, that calling that you felt or you feel or that you will someday feel is the same that the Magi felt. And whether it's in the stars or in the Sunday morning pew or watching on your phone or laptop, there will be new befores and new afters and new dreams. But Jesus will keep interrupting you and sending you down paths you've never imagined, some you didn't ask for, and some that you might have. And the best of it all is that God with us is God with you. And so you never have to go on those journeys alone. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.